Okay, so we screwed up the recording initially, but Andrew, tell me more about how you don't like the fact that I am not a Gummy Bear fan. I mean, it just means that you have poor taste, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Artem, what is your stance on this whole Gummy Bear situation? I was just wondering how the hell you pick up these random topics, just like off the bat, you're like, hey, let's record, and then he's like, what's the difference between Gummy Bears and Cough Medicine? Like, it's been sitting on the top of your mind this whole day, you know? That's yeah. Insane. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I'm, I, I'm just a repository for random questions. That's what happens, you know? I sit around. This is what I do at work, man, because <laughs> they can't give me enough work to do stuff anyway. So I just look up football facts and then think about random things, you know? Like, like where do frogs come from? You see, Logan, when two frogs really really love each other no i can't even i can't even do that (laughs) anyway welcome to the best part what happens then i mean frogs lay eggs i believe so like i think like the female lays an egg and then like the male comes by and fertilizes it like they don't even do like the down and dirty it's actually kind of weird because there's a bunch of different frogs like some frogs Again, I'm going to have to put frog facts on our, like, highlight of our episode. But, yeah, some frogs will, like, lay eggs in their back, so it'll actually, like, explode out of their back, which makes me think of those movies with the spiders in them where they lay eggs in the people. So it's really messed up. This sounds like the video that Trump got in trouble with the Russians for. Oh, God. All right. With that in mind, welcome everybody to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. I'm here today with Andrew and Artem. How are y'all doing today? Uh, it's a Wednesday and football has already been played yesterday. This is the second time that Andrew forgot to tell me that it was football on a Tuesday. <laughs> I actually watched a little bit of that game. I and wanted to see um, future Georgia Tech head coach Neil Brown. <laughs> are you you're already saying that's going to happen for sure? Huh. Oh, I don't think it'll happen this year, but I mean, man, a man can put together his coaching list. You know, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. I, I thought you were going after the Kennesaw State coach. You know, that we can honestly do a whole podcast about why that's probably a bad idea. Okay, fine. I'm going to have to have that conversation with you and Tommy separately. But uh, it's, it's nothing against Coach Bowen, and I think he's a fantastic coach. It's just I think that it would create schisms in the fan base that we really don't need. <laughs> the fact that he's still running the system that everybody despises. All right. Yep. And he's a University of Georgia graduate, too. Oh, yeah, that plays a factor. Oh, well, anyway. So we got some fun reception from our interactions last week talking about the uh, is, your, is your college team uh, a cult? Is your college fan base a cult last week? So this week I decided to try something a little different. I, I was watching a couple of play calls and not really thinking about, you know, as I do staring off into space, not really thinking that I could have done a better play call, but more just curious about what the rationale was behind the decision making. So we're going to run through a couple of play call situations and maybe discuss like what what was going through the coach's mind and what might be going through the fan's mind watching these decisions get made on the field. So to start off, we got a fourth and two situation from the opponent's 38-yard line with Michigan being up by seven with 11 minutes left in the game. Uh, I'm kind of 
edging these stats out, these this information out just to make things a little more interesting. But that's approximately what happened in the Michigan game against Michigan State last week. So, Andrew, I know you've already got you've already put some thought into this. So I'll start with you. What what are you doing in this situation? My my biggest question, and I think I asked you this off the air, is it would really kind of depend on what we're averaging on the ground running the ball. If we're up around three and a half, four yards to carry, uh, I'm probably going to go for it without a second thought because you're looking at a 55-yard field goal, and especially in that game where the weather was just absolutely awful. You know, it's really not fair to put your kicker out there, and you're not going to punt because you're kicking, you're punting from the 38. I, I, I'm not a big field position, flip the field guy. I think that's one where I would probably go for it. But if we're running the ball really well, I probably wouldn't even think about it. Well, I mean, you that's the decision that Michigan seemed to make because they ran a read option and got the first down pretty easily. But they also faked out they faked out the cameraman with the read option where the quarterback <laughs> kept it. Ooh, yeah, see, this is where I quit. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of of a read option play on, on a short yardage like that. There's, there's too many things that can go wrong. I'm almost just a, just give it to the guy and let him get those two yards. And I mean, we did look it up. They were getting three and a half. So yeah, you're right. It's a little questionable to just to go with that play calling. If you're averaging three and a half, but regardless, they did it. It worked out. I kind of spoiled the uh, whole situation, Artem, but what would you have done given that, given that situation? Still there, Artem? Yep, I was muted. I like what they did. I like what, what Andrew said. Um, I think a lot of teams practice plays throughout the week, and a lot of coaches like to keep a play in their back pocket in case a situation popped up. I'd say, kind of like in Michigan's case, I was watching that game. There wasn't a lot of you know, crazy stuff going on in that game. There was a lot of, all right, we're going to run the ball, we're going to throw. It was very basic. There weren't, there weren't any trick plays. There wasn't anything like we're going to attack the seams that much. It, it wasn't any of that. There wasn't crossing routes like Oklahoma does all the time if, if they're in a tight spot or – Ohio State starts doing a lot of that if they're down. They start running a lot of crossing routes so they can throw the ball. So it, it seemed like Michigan was in a spot where they did have a play in their back pocket. Obviously, we know how it turned out already. Um, and in that case, it was something they haven't done all season, really. It was uh, um, the, uh, a read option play, essentially. And it's something that they have done in the past, but every single time before that, the running back had kept it. So it, it probably wasn't a real option. It was like, hey, hand it off to the running back. You're so new here. So it, it was good what they did. They kept the ball, and it was a complete trick play. Trick, like you said, tricked out the camera guy, tricked out everybody on the, the team, went for a long run instead. So that would be my thought process, too. You know, in, in that terrible weather condition, anything could happen with a kick, with a punt. You're almost putting yourself in a – if you're playing the percentages game, you're putting yourself in a position where – running a that sort of play where you practiced it but you kind of kept it in your back back pocket that's a good time to call it on on fourth and two you being up and pretty much anything else you do is going to have the same percentage of it being and i'll fuck up for that team so i I would go for it i I call a play that's something similar to what they did in that case it's something the other team wasn't expecting at all something they haven't seen in the past 
at worst, um, force a timeout from them and then run it anyway. And fair enough. And I do want to touch on Tommy's uh, decision-making. He kind of covered all his bases, but his first thing he started out with was he would kick a field goal if he felt that his kicker had the distance. And I'm pretty much going to skim over all of Tommy's uh, subjects because they usually involve punting or kicking a field goal. And as a Bama fan, I don't believe in field goals and punting doesn't exist. So there, that's where we're going to stand on most of Tommy's op- opinions. To his credit, I think he didn't get the, this is the Michigan game with the players. I think he was just like looking at it from a, what would you do in this perspective without knowing anything else? Okay, yeah, I mean, I can give him credit for that. Yeah, because the weather in that game was also terrible. But uh, I don't know. I think he's given college kickers a little too much credit. But, you know, it, best case scenario. All right, next scenario up. This one actually was from the Tennessee-Alabama game. We've got a Tennessee situation. Fourth and 10 from the opponent's 41. Down by 28 points. Literally the start of the second quarter. There has not been a second ticked off the clock in the second quarter. So I will say, going into this, this is kind of like one of those burn-everything-to-the-ground situations where you're just looking at it, you're like, uh, as a fan, you're just like, well, screw it. We might as well go for it, right? I mean, everything else has kind of fallen apart. Um, what's the worst thing that could happen going for it in this situation? Uh, but as a coach, obviously, there's more expectations on you. You know, there's kind of a defined logic that you have to follow, uh, I, 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 honestly, I can't fault a person for punting, but as the fan in me have, is always going to say, go for it, because why the hell not? Uh, you know, this is just a, do you want to continue to lose slowly, or do you want to take the million and one chance at winning? But that's just my perspective. Uh, Tommy says punt. Artem, what's your opinion? You know, I haven't, haven't seen my fair share of, 35, 40, 50 point comebacks in the last couple of years, watching a lot of football. You're even as a fan, you're almost lured into playing the percentages game. You know, you're on the forty, you're on the forty-one. You got fourth and ten. How likely is it you're going to convert a fourth and ten against Alabama, no matter where it is? Very unlikely. Um, how likely is your punter? potentially able to trap them on the one or the two and then maybe your defense that's slowly been improving shows you something maybe you get a little bit of a, a little bit of a momentum back it's still the second quarter so I, I would punt in this situation as a fan or as a coach just because I know that no matter how your defense has been playing in that game you don't want to give up and show them that you, you don't face them a faith in them beginning of second quarter uh, punt that ball, try to down it somewhere within the 5 or the 10. Um, give them a chance to get a stop. Give them a chance to shift the momentum a little bit. And at worst, they get a little bit more experience because, honestly, as soon as you leave your offense out there, your defense starts thinking, okay, maybe he doesn't have enough confidence in this, especially in a situation like this where it's still really early in the game. So I would punt. Okay. Uh, Andrew, I know you had an opinion on this uh, as far as going for it uh before the podcast started, has Artem swayed you uh, to punt? The thing about giving up on your defense is, I get you don't want to impact the guys, but they, they've given up 28 points in a quarter 
two of those were on short. One of those was on a short field, so that one you really can't hold against the defense. But you know, Alabama's first drive, nine plays, fifty-eight yards. Their third drive, you know, they hit you with a with a long seventy-seven yard touchdown pass. And then the most recent drive, they went nine plays, ninety-three yards. Nothing in this game has shown me that my defense is going to be able to stop anything. And you know, you're you're in enough plus territory to me that it's it, it would be worth it. But again, I think Artem kind of hit on a good point where you know you know the defense you're playing. You've had no success up until that drive. The three out of the three Tennessee drives were. Three plays minus 22 yards, three plays minus two yards, three plays minus three yards. That drive was actually their best drive so far, eight plays for 33 yards. <laughs> so your offense really isn't doing it either. So you're almost kind of between a rock and a hard place of, well, the defense isn't going to stop anybody, but nothing of the offense has showed me that they're going to be able to get 10 yards. So I think you're in enough plus territory that going for it would help you if you can get it but uh, i think you've kind of to be resigned yourself to to the loss already because you're not doing any good anywhere yeah and i guess that's the thing is like if you know you're gonna lose anyway i would still go for it personally because it at least you're trying you know if you give it back to the defense like you said you just showed that your defense hasn't showed you anything saying you can stop them. This is the best drive you've had all game. Try and keep the momentum going. Worst case scenario, Bama gets the ball on the thirty on their own thirty-eight, and your defense gets a chance to stop them. It's not like the however many yards difference in punting is going to make that big of a difference, or it has so far. I don't know. That's again, this is just my opinion. Uh, this is a this is the interesting one to me on the list because I, I think that. A coaching mentality when you've got a paycheck riding on this decision makes a huge difference because, as you pointed out, Andrew, it's just kind of a lose-lose situation no matter what you decide to do. Yeah, it's it's one of those – all of these decisions are those fun coaching decisions where if you go for it and it works and, you know, you go on to win the game. I mean, this game, you're probably not going to go on to win the game, but – you know, you go on to win the game, everyone goes, yeah, you know, it was a great ballsy call by that coach, and it was fantastic coaching, you know, and smart decision. But then if it fails, you're like, man, what a fucking dumbass. I mean, but that's that's why you get paid the big paychecks, because at the end of the day, that's what co- that's a lot of what coaching is. So. Yeah, I mean, we've had enough arguments about coaching versus players making mistakes, so. Yeah, that's fair. All right. But that'll move on to our next one. So this one's always an interesting discussion to me. I've seen Georgia Tech do it a few times. This week we saw Miami of Ohio do it against Army, and it it almost worked. It was so close. But uh, they were in the second OT, down by one on the extra point try. Do you go for two, or do you take it to a third overtime? Now this one, I'm more curious about the actual rationale here. Because it seems like it's a momentum-based decision where it's just like, if we drag this out any longer, I don't know that our team can keep up kind of thing. Or if it's just like, this is the best chance we've got. I, I, I don't know. Andrew, maybe you can kind of 
You've been there on the sidelines for at least one of these when we did it against Wake, so maybe you can explain it to me what the decision-making process is actually like for this particular play call. Yeah, it's it kind of plays off how you said. I think it's one of the reasons we went for two against Tennessee last year is how do you feel as a coach about either your your offense's ability to score or your defense's ability to get a stop? And I also think given that it's the second overtime, you're going to have to go for two in the next overtime anyway. That I, I would have gone for two. I like it. I think it's a good decision. Obviously, again, it's that same decision where – if it works, you're a savant and you're great. And if it fails, you're an idiot. And how dare you and you should get fired. But, you know, Miami of Ohio didn't think that they could stop Army again and said, you know what, this is our best chance to win the game. And I think that's probably what played a lot of role in it is you you look at what is going to give me that best chance. Has my defense been stopping or has my offense been more successful? Okay. Artem, do you have the same perspective, or do you have a different opinion as far as a Texas A&M fan in overtime? Well, apparently Texas A&M is now the second winningest program at home in overtime on a Friday. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's not part of the stat. But um, I, I agree with Andrew. It all has to do with momentum. Uh, it depends what, what's happened in the game before that. And honestly, it's about one thing for me. Has my team been making mistakes? If they haven't, then I trust them to, to keep going, kick the extra point, keep going with it until, you know, they can't. Um, if, if our team's causing fumbles, we, you know, we were down five turnovers, came back into this thing, and, you know, any next play could be another mistake and we don't score any more points, then, yeah, I go for two. Gotcha. Ah, nice and simple. I mean, again, Texas A&M has more experience in overtime. Oh, and uh, I don't have Tommy's uh, response on me, but based on everything else he says, he probably would have punted. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I always, I'm always interested by those because it obviously it decides the whole game whether you win or lose. So it's it's fun to just pin it on that as a coach to just be like. It's all riding on this play. At least we've got control over it. But it is a tough one. All right, the last one. And this one I kind of put in on a lark because I watched the end of this game and it mystified me as far as decision-making goes. Um, But it's third and eight. You're on your opponent's 40. You're down by two, so a field goal could win it. You've got three minutes left in the game. All three timeouts are available for both teams. How much yardage do you need to pick up to go for it on fourth down? Now, I asked this. This is similar to the SMU game uh, against Tulane. So SMU ran into the situation a couple of times, actually, where they were on the same yardage. They couldn't gain anything on third down, and they decided to punt. Now, spoiler alert, they still ended up winning the game by some miracle, but it, it fascinated me that they it didn't even seem like they considered going for it. They had the punt unit ready to go as soon as possible. So that was fascinating to me, and I, I only could assume it was because they felt it was too long to risk going for it. But anyway, Artem, how many how many yards would you have picked up, needed to pick up in that situation to go for it? Probably at least half, I would say. I want to be in a fourth and short and be semi-confident that 
the next play, I'm, I'm going to potentially be able to convert. And by semi-confident, I mean like, hey, if it's 40% or higher, I'm going to trust my guys to get that three or four yards if we really need to. But if we get less than four yards on the first attempt on third and eight, I, I would try a field goal. I, I mean, it depends on the kicker. It depends on the weather. It depends on the wind. But, you know, you're like you said, you're only down by two if you get five yards. You don't even have to go for it on fourth down. Go for it. This is the same thing as kicking a field goal right there. So, well, and that, and that was the other yeah. thing that fascinated me was, again, SMU went straight to the punt. They did not even think about trying a field goal. They were like, we are going to punt it now. And I'm like, that has got to be a dangerous mindset to be like, we are giving it to a team that is beating us on the field in every way, and we're going to go ahead and just give them the ball back and hope that our defense can stop them. I mean, Faith in your defense, uh, even though they're they're currently losing, I mean, I guess you should be proud of that. It just seems like a dangerous mindset to have to keep giving the ball up to your opponent. Anyway, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this play? It's kind of weird because it all comes down to clock management in this particular situation. Yeah, I think your question has to be, again, how much faith do you have in your defense? And... Yeah, I pulled up the stats because I kind of wanted to look at the SMU-Tulane game, and it, it kind of looks that neither team was really great offensively, but you know the, the numbers were kind of matched out. I think in order to go for it, I, I want it to be at least fourth and three or less. So I think if you get five yards, it, it really becomes a question of, all right, I should probably go for it. Anything more than that, I think you're kind of tempting. But the problem is, too, you're looking at kicking – 50-plus yard field goals if you're going to kick a field goal. And so, because, I mean, a first down puts you at, what, the 32? So it's a 49-yard field goal? Yeah. I I think I'd go for it because you've got timeouts. So going for it, you still going to – if you go for it and fail – you still got to make a stop. If you punt, you have to make a. St- I mean, you have to make a stop. Like no matter what, there's got to be a stop. If you fail or if you punt, so they're kind of the same thing. And I'd rather go for it and have a chance to keep pushing the ball instead of just giving, like you said, just kind of giving up and saying, "All right, well, let's try this again." Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm a very much of a kind of. Obviously, I'm not a coach. I play NCAA 13 because that was the last one that came out. But I'm very much a guy that's like I would rather control my destiny uh, with the ball in my hands rather than risk having the other team do something crazy and end up winning on like because we gave them the opportunity. But yeah, I have amazing news for you. What is it? Oh, NCAA they've... 14 is available as of several years ago. How many how many NCAA's are there? Is it just fourteen or is it fifteen? Yeah, I think fourteen's the last one. Okay, well that's the one then. All right. I mean, they didn't really they didn't change anything in NCAA fourteen though. Uniforms, uniforms. Oh, good. Oregon's got and all you the flash. Customized teams, so if like Kennesaw State's not in it, you can get because Kennesaw State. Oregon's Oregon's got all the flashy uniforms in there. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, but you have to buy them. I think. Boo. All right, so let's get on to the main topic. I think 
A couple of interesting games happened this week, but the one that everybody's going to hit on and the one that's been beat to death is the Ohio State situation against Purdue. I, I think I will go ahead and say I want to give credit to where it's due to Purdue because Purdue really came out and they played their hearts out. Uh, they wanted to win it for the little cancer boy that could. Uh, I'm sorry, what's his actual name? Tyler Turkin? Uh, Tyler. But he, is it like Tyler Strong or something? No, Strong is like the commercial slogan. It's it's something with a T. Tyler Turkin, I think. I don't know. But point is, they came out, they played their hearts out, and then they won that game. The reason, though, that I think people are highlighting this as a loss for Ohio State is because usually when you see a top-four team lose, it's like, oh, it was a last-second field goal or, oh, they just couldn't quite drive down to score a touchdown at the end of the game. This was an ass-whooping. Purdue just rocked Ohio State. I think they, that was insane. I don't, No one saw this coming. Um, so I guess the starting question, Artem, <laughs> what happened? Did you, you were paying attention to this game. What did you see out there on the field? I don't know. It seemed like Ohio State wasn't paying attention at all. Um, one of the key drives I still remember was uh, Purdue ran the same play four times and went, I think, 60 or 50-plus yards on Ohio State. And every single time he was, he went for a first down or like nine yards, and then the fourth time they blew it up for a touchdown. It's the same play. They had a guy come around on an end round. They either decided to give them the ball or they ran the ball with a running back, and Ohio State seemed to not be able to stop that. Um, you know, honestly, if we had some game stats before that game, I probably would have said, yep, I could have seen this coming, just because uh, during the game they were showing a, a stat that was in the last eight years, or in the last seven years before that game, Ohio State has lost uh, four times or three times out of the seven times at Purdue. So, so my last eight, seven years, last seven meetings that were at Purdue, and it was Ohio State versus Purdue. So Purdue somehow snuck away with three or four of those. So honestly, uh, they probably were confident enough um, as a as a head coach of that program. They've been building up a lot. They're they started zero and three, and they've won the last three games. So going into that game, they were three and three. They probably thought they could beat anybody. They were on a streak. Uh, they had this kid who uh, I believe they didn't really know about. Uh, as much before the season, but his, the head coach found him sitting there waiting for tickets, and then the whole team started kind of crowding around them. So it was a lot of kind of like, we are one team, we are one thing, we can do this, let's work together kind of thing. Whether, uh, whereas at Ohio State, I feel like you have the opposite thing going on. It's a bunch of individuals uh, playing as individuals, playing as skilled players. And uh, from what I understand, there's a lot of weird stuff going around the program because of the uh, Urban Meyer stuff that happened earlier in the season. I just don't think they, they had the same team of cohesion, and when they fell behind by so much, um, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't come back. So you really think, in a way, having all those five-star recruits, kind of the star power, kind of came back to bite them where they were, were not as team cohesive. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, and these five-star recruits haven't played together too much. It's just been, you know, this four or five games this season because most of the guys they lost to the draft last year. So these are all new guys that don't have a lot of experience playing together. And now you have all this weird stuff going on in the program where 
your coach was suspended due to you know covering stuff up and people are asking questions and it's, it's just weird it in that kind of thing on the road now that you're down because you didn't prepare as well i don't know well and this is only going to increase pressure i mean obviously all eyes are on the ohio state program and they kind of already are no one likes ohio state to begin with they're very much the bama of the big 10 everybody likes to see them lose and this is just piling things on but uh, Andrew, sorry, you've been a little quiet over there, so I'll give you a chance to talk. What What are your thoughts on this matchup? I think I think it was a good start to try to say, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Purdue. They played a fantastic game. They ran the ball well. They averaged five point six yards per carry. They threw the ball great. They didn't turn the ball over. They were six of fifteen on third down. You know, they were pretty successful with what they were trying to do. And, you know, they, they scored 28 points in the fourth quarter, which is always fun. <laughs> that always really kind of helps you break open a game. Rondell Moore, the wide receiver, freshman wide receiver for them, is, is a fantastic player. He was a lot of fun to watch. I remember watching him against Northwestern at the beginning of the year and being excited about it, saying, hey, this is a guy we need to pay attention to. Ohio State just really poor play defensively. You know, Ohio State's a team that you – you talk about having talent all across the field, being able to do all kind of things, but you know, they again they gave up five point six yards per carry. You know, they could not slow down Purdue, and, and that's that's going to hurt you. You know, when you can't get a stop, it's it's you can score. You know, you got to be able to match up and score points, and they weren't able to do it. They threw the ball seventy three times. That's insane. Like I get it when you're down, but you know this game this game was fourteen to three at halftime. Kirk Herbstreit was very disappointed in them when he looked at the number of times they threw the ball. He's like, they just gave up on the run game, apparently. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, the other thing, and actually I listened to Herbie talk about it, and he had a really uh, a good discussion about how just how poorly the, uh, the Ohio State linebackers played. Played with bad eyes, got themselves out of position. You know, Artem talked about the, the jet sweep play. The linebackers let it pull them out of the position. They tried to key on that instead of, you know, reading with their eyes, seeing what they're supposed to see, and, and filling gaps. And there's just a lot of places where they struggle. You know, Ohio State's got a bye week, and they've got a lot of stuff they got to get right. Gosh. Because I mean, Penn State's a good, or Purdue's a good team. You know, Purdue came in with a great plan, executed, and again, Rondell Moore, DJ Knox, great players. And and the crazy part is, Purdue currently controls their own destiny in the Big Ten. Oh, that's terrifying, actually. They, uh, they're, they're only conference losses to Northwestern, and so they control their own destiny in the West. They've got at Michigan State, Iowa, at Minnesota, Wisconsin, and at Indiana. So, I mean, it's not an easy road by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, who would have thought halfway through the season we would say Purdue still controls their destiny in the West. <laughs> hey, look, man, I said that... And, and, argu- and arguably could be the favorite. I said that at the beginning of the year. It's just I kind of fell off after they last lost three games, okay? So, let's, yeah, come that, on. That Eastern, that Eastern Michigan game didn't really do them any, uh, no, any no. favors. Hey, man, Eastern Michigan's a pretty good team, to be fair. Um, Actually, no, Purdue doesn't control their own destiny. They have to have Northwestern lose again. Yeah, I was about to say, that seemed a little weird, but anyway... But, I mean, much like with Purdue, Northwestern, I jumped off that wagon, too, when they lost three straight games. Yeah, You never know. Weirder things have happened. But it does bring up kind of the question, uh, I guess, the two questions that 
we get every week. Andrew's already bored because he's heard them so many times before. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, does this open up a window for other teams? I mean, Michigan, UCF, Notre Dame, we talked about them last week. And can anybody challenge Bama? Because, honestly, I-, I know it's a joke question. It's the question my parents keep asking me. But, really, can anyone challenge Bama? Because it doesn't. they haven't played anybody that even makes them look remotely beatable. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. So it's two separate questions. I think the biggest team this helps is Michigan. Because I think it, it shows Michigan, A, that Ohio State's beatable, and that they may be the team to do that. They're, they're still without a loss in the Big Ten. You know, they picked up a big win at Michigan State. They've got a tough one in two weeks against Penn State. But then, you know, they get Rutgers and Indiana before the game against Ohio State. So Michigan's really, I think, the team that's bowie and most excited and this loss really helps them a lot. It also would allow them to drop a game in the Big Ten. Say they lose to Penn State, it really wouldn't matter as long as they beat Ohio State at the end of the year. In terms of beating Bama, I think the team that's got the best chance to beat Alabama plays them in two weeks. LSU? I think that's, I think that's the LSU Tigers. Yeah. I think they're a team that has really shown, especially defensively, that they're, you know, they, they played Georgia and shut down that, that Georgia offense. I think it's pretty talented. It's got a lot of talent, able to run the ball. And that's, I mean, that's going to be a fantastic game. And I think that's going to be Alabama's biggest challenge. So, ba- so basically, if they beat LSU, then they you might as well just crown them then. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't know if you should crown them national champions because I think Clemson's a really good team too. Um, but. In terms of the SEC, I think that would pretty much kind of solid because I don't I don't think it's going to be Mississippi State. Uh, obviously, we don't think it's going to be the Citadel. <laughs> no, and, probably not. Auburn has shit think, the bed recently. Yeah, we, we 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 don't know. I mean, Auburn's on the verge of firing Gus, so we don't really know what the hell we're going to get out what? of Auburn. <laughs> I mean, I know what Georgia Tech is going to get. They're going to get Gus Malzahn. Oh. Hey. Look, look, I'm all aboard the Gus bus, man. But, I don't know if it will happen, but I'm all aboard it if it does happen. But uh, Artem, uh, same. He just got extended in the offseason, like two or three extra his, years. His buyout is, uh, his buyout's like $20 million. Like, his buyout is unbelievably insane. But, uh, yeah. Auburn, Auburn fans are also unbelievably insane. I mean, well, we saw what happened at LSU. So, I mean, again, weirder things have happened. Some of these schools, they're not Georgia Tech. They got money to burn, okay? so Oh, of course they do. But anyway, Artem, same topics. Who Who's the who's going to take advantage of this open window, and can anyone challenge Bama? Andrew covered it pretty well. Uh, Michigan, I said this last week, um, Michigan's in a position where they – if they keep winning, they make it to the playoff. They make it to the championship game. Um, I think this Michigan State game showed, told us a lot about this Michigan team. This is the Michigan team that fumbled a punt for a touchdown and lost them in the past. Um, so I think they've, they've taken a couple of good steps forward. We'll see what happens at the Penn State and the Ohio State games. But th- those games will tell us a lot. Uh, I think um, as, far as, as far as the Alabama, I, I think Alabama's secondary is not – not extremely tested yet. So if they were to face a pass-happy team uh, that could hold the pressure of that defensive line, um, 
I think they could really be tested. I think a lot of the, the season they've been playing from ahead, and it's a lot easier to play from ahead than it is in a closed game. So it, it, I think LSU will be one of those games because I know um, Tua's gotten kind of hurt. He might have gotten a concussion last game, actually. So it'll be interesting to see where Jill, if Jalen Hurts gets to play and Tua's out. Hurts uh, is out. Hurts is out, too. Yeah. Hurts is out, too. Okay. Yeah, so they don't have a lot of choices. I guess that's why Tua's playing, because I remember he hurt his knee two weeks ago and then last week as well. And then he hit his head on the turf, which looked like a concussion. So um, I, I want to see them in a close game. Uh, they haven't had one of those yet. I know Nick Saban harps on them about that. He always wants to see his team in a close game during the season. That way they know how to handle the situation when, they, when it comes to playoffs. So I think, uh, honestly, you pick any team that's putting up a lot of points right now as far as uh, throwing the ball, um, and I, I think they'd have a hard time against that team. Washington State, even. I mean, things things are, yeah, you know. I, I, what more I, what I was curious about hearing was – what are the weaknesses that Bama has? Because I think every week we go in, we just see that they beat a team by like 40 points, and you're just like, you shrug, and you're like, that's Bama, like a bad punchline. Um, but well, yeah. I, think, I think the thing we've talked about is this probably is the best offense Nick Saban's ever had at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the defense isn't even that great. Uh, to yeah, I mean, Artem's again, point. like not great for Alabama is like, what, ninth in total defense instead of third? But yeah, I mean, with Tua, obviously it's the best quarterback he's ever had. By the far. talent around him is unbelievable, and the ability to put up points is crazy. So this is kind of a different Bama than we're used to seeing, which is why we all kind of sit back and go, well, shit, who's going to beat them? Also, to get back to Gus Malzahn's buyout as of December 1st would be $32 million. Oh, only $32 million. Okay. Just... It's, it's, only, it's only fifth highest amongst head coaches. I mean, it's only half of the buyout for uh, Les Miles, right? Les Miles was like sixty. I thought. Was it really? Wow. It was ridiculous. I don't remember. Oh, boy. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, I guess on the note of coaching, though, so we used to have the Fish Smithson report where we would highlight players each week with weird names. Uh, I kind of struggled to come up with weird names this year. So, instead, we're just going to do a coaching and player highlight because – I, I, I still like the idea of highlighting players that do well. I just can't find any that are, have weird names. Andrew, I'll let you go ahead and get started. Who are the Who's the coach and who's the player that you want to highlight this week? So my coaching highlight is a coach that I actually talked about at the beginning of the season who I thought had a chance to really turn his team around, and that's Lance Leopold at Buffalo. He's, he's in his fourth season with the Bulls. And he's got him at seven and one. Currently, their only loss is to Army. <laughs> they got pretty blown out by Army back at the end of September. But hey, Army's they, a good team. Shit. Oh, Army's a very good team. They are currently leading the MAC East, I believe they're in, and they've got a huge showdown actually for the East this weekend that I'm low key excited for because they play your buffalo or your ohio bobcats that's I, next week i'm i'm scared but I, I i think honestly i think buffalo has got that game because ohio has not been as impressive this year it's oh actually it's even better because next week starts midweek maction oh god oh uh, Ma- yes maction so excited maction is magic 
Uh, but no, Buffalo. Apparently, Buffalo doesn't play Ohio until like the next to last week. So I was actually wrong about that. But yeah, they're he's really turned that program around. I was really excited when they hired Leopold because of what he had done at the D three level at which Wisconsin Whitewater. I was really excited to see someone take a chance on him and see what he could do at a higher level and he's come in and really succeeded their their quarterback is really Tyree Jackson has really driven that team he's he's thrown over 1869 yards 20 touchdowns his interception numbers are a little high his completion percentage is not great but he's also six foot seven 245 pounds that's a big man playing quarterback I mean, I know you're highlighting this guy, but I honestly, I thought you had a different player in mind for your highlight. I do, I do, but I, he he just was part of my my love letter to Lance Leopold, the Buffalo Bulls. I mean, if you can recruit a guy that big, then yeah, that's definitely helpful. Actually, I kind of want to I want to read this off because I was I was doing research, and this still just blows my mind. So Leopold was at Wisconsin Whitewater. He was a head coach at Whitewater for eight seasons. For eight seasons. In those eight seasons at Wisconsin Whitewater, he lost a total of six games. Damn. He went undefeated five times. That's some some ridiculous stuff. He won six Division III national titles in eight seasons. Saban-esque. At Wisconsin Whitewater. Definitely Saban-esque, I would say. Yeah. That's... Uh, the two seasons he didn't. One season he went thirteen and two and played for the championship and lost to Mount Union. And then he had the low, the worst season of his career, Wisconsin Whitewater, where he went seven and three. Dang man, he's he's obviously a pre- pretty impressive coach, and he's done a really good job at Buffalo. I mean, honestly, this has been their takeoff year. I was yeah. really surprised when they lost to Army. Honestly. Yeah, they were two and ten in twenty sixteen in his second season, and they're already seven and one this year. And again, arguably, probably the favorite to win that side of the MAC East or the MAC. Now, the player I want to talk about was Rondell Moore. We kind of talked about him earlier. The wider, fresh and wide receiver at Purdue. I mean, just a fantastic player has really been integral in their turnaround. Was a four star kid out of Kentucky that Jeff Brom was able to sell to come to play for him instead of going to Louisville or going to Kentucky. And again, he's been an integral part of that offense. Hasn't run the ball as much as I thought he had. He's only got one touchdown. It was a 76-yard touchdown run. But, you know, he's averaging 12.8 yards a catch, 728 yards in the season, seven touchdowns. Like I said, really an integral part of that offense. And as we talked about, he's also that jet sweep guy that'll pull linebackers out of the box, that'll pull eyes and allow DJ Knox and Mark Hill Jones to have a little more open lanes to run the ball. Definitely true. Artem, who do you got for your guys? Yeah, I got, uh, as a coach, I have the Texas A&M defensive line coordinator, uh, Elijah Robinson, comes over from Baylor. And the reason I'm highlighting him this week is he took a bottom feeder run defense and turned us into a top 10 run defense nationally. Um, considering the fact that it's the same guys playing from last year to this year, I think he's done a lot of work in the offseason getting these guys right, getting their mind right, getting their technique corrected. 
to uh, being better. Um, they've done a good job figuring out personnel groupings of who should be and when. Elko's done a good job of fitting packages to actual player talent and then putting players in positions to succeed, getting pressure on the quarterback from cornerbacks, from linebackers, from the defensive line itself. I think it's keeping them healthy. They've had less snaps on the field. I think it's uh, something like 50, a little bit over 50 snaps a game is what they're averaging, as opposed to last year when, um, due to the number of snaps they played, they may have as well played three extra games than any other team. So I think he's uh, Elijah Robinson's done a good job in that defense up. Uh, I'm comfortable with us stopping the run now as opposed to last couple of years when teams ran on us for 200, 250 yards a game, and it was pretty much a, a shootout. You had to throw the ball a lot. Now now we have a lot of options. Uh, games seem close. They're fun to watch. So he'd be the coordinator I highlight. Um, as far as a player... I don't know how well-known or not well-known he is, but Jalen Waddell at Alabama. Uh, He's a true freshman, and kid's just fast. I mean, he burned the Tennessee defense so bad this week. Took a 77-yarder to the house. I I would look for him to uh, keep getting more snaps as the season progresses, start getting some plays that are centered towards him, getting the ball more often, and uh, that'll be fun to watch. He's kind of the Rondale Moore of the Alabama. Mm. I'll have to actually keep an eye out for him in the future. But anyway, I'm going to wrap it up with uh, the coaching highlight that I've got is Bronco Mendenhall. So obviously he started off the season, made some very heavy critiques of his own team. I think he said something along the lines of he's only got 27 uh, players on his team that can play at an ACC level. But uh, that being said, he is – taking what has consistently been one of the worst ACC teams and put them in a position where they could theoretically win the Coastal. Uh, I don't know if that's more of a testament to how chaotic the Coastal is or a testament to Mendenhall's ability to change the mentality of the program. But what I do know is that based on the schedule right now, their biggest concern is probably Virginia Tech. Everyone else is winnable at least. I mean, I would say easily winnable. I have a hard time saying that because I know they play us at home, but definitely winnable games. Um, also, I got to highlight Mendenhall because he and his wife donated half a million dollars to the program's funds, which is a huge deal. The, obviously, a lot of coaches will complain uh, or a lot of ADs will struggle to find funds for their program to get you know the players up to have the facilities to train the players. And Bronco Mendenhall, he went out of his way. He's like, yeah, here, if it'll get us better players, if it'll get us better training facilities, let's spend this money, take this money you're giving me, and put it back into the program. So a lot of respect for him there. Uh, as far as player highlights goes, I'm going to look at Houston. I know Houston, a lot of hype gets thrown at Ed Oliver, given his draft prospect uh, future. But um, Austin Robinson had a great week last week against Navy. He went 11 solo tackles, 10 assisted tackles, and two sacks. Granted, it's against Navy, and he was a linebacker, but that's still a great performance. Whenever you have 11 solo tackles, that's a pretty incredible game. So more power to you, Austin. Anyway, uh, that's it. I think that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Thanks, as always, to all our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at tmlpodcast at gmail.com. 
or check us out on Twitter at TML Podcast. Uh, guys, y'all got anything else to close us out? Nope. All right. Well, have a good rest of your night, everybody. Bye.